All right, guys, uh, grab your Bibles and open them back up to the book of Galatians. And tonight, I want to tease one more lesson um, out of verse 26. That is uh, Galatians 5, 26. Um, actually, it's really the second half of what I did uh, two weeks ago. You know, we were closed last week because of the snow. Um, but it, it had to do with the how-to. That is, uh, you remember the... Um, is this thing? Yeah, I think it is. No, it's not. Um, uh, is it on? Uh, remember the, the the big the look at that wonderful screen. Um, the the big word that we've been looking at is the word kenodoxoi. Uh, there it is. Um, uh, it's um. It's a word that talks about uh, the absence of glory. It's the word that's found in, in, in uh, verse 26 that is translated conceit. Um, it's only found two times in the New Testament. Here in one other place, and I'll show you that in a minute. Um, but l- look at uh, Galatians 5, 26 with me. Um, let us not become conceited. There it is, kinodoxoi. Provoking one another, envying one another. Now, guys, I think you would all agree that provoking one another or envying one another is certainly antithetical to the life that we're supposed to be walking by the Spirit. Okay, I think everybody would agree with that. Um, so we know that this is contrary to the life that we're supposed to be walking. But Paul addresses this just about in every letter of a church that he writes to. You know the Corinthian church was just an absolute mess. Um, he mentions something similar in the, his letter to the Colossians. You find it um, a, another um, messy situation that uh, crops up in the book of Ephesians. Here it is in Galatians, and I want you to see one more. It's the other place where Kenodoxo is found. It's in Philippians 2. The reason I mention all those churches is because apparently all these churches that Paul wrote to had a problem. This problem. The, the conceit problem, the kenodoxoi um, uh, problem. Um, Philippians chapter 2, um, look at verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or, look at it, there it is, conceit. Kenodoxoi. Uh, Philippians 2, 3. So he's got, he's got problems in Corinth, he's got problems in Colossae and Ephesus, he has problems in Galatia, and he has problems in Philippi. Apparently, this, this, this problem of kinodoxoi is, um, is rather widespread. Maybe, maybe an absolute universality uh, in our hearts. Gang, um, in the Philippians passage, beginning at verse 2 and going through verse 11, that is Paul's appeal for unity of the Philippian church. Okay, They were fighting in Philippi. Um... There is something in our hearts that inclines us to fighting, but not just in church. Uh, We fight in families, we fight in marriages, we fight in neighborhoods, we fight at the office. What, What is the problem in all these churches, and what is the problem that continues to crop up in all of those different venues? That. We're glory starved. Um, we have a we have a glory hunger. 
that um, is not being addressed. We, um, we have no glory or the absence of glory, an absence of, on the inside of a feeling of a sense of worth and dignity and, and, um, and value. And because we do, um, we, um, we are cosmically insecure and we have to go get it. That is, we have to go get the glory. So we demand it, we fight for it, we, um, we force it, we extract it. All trying to fill up that vacuum. Um, <clears throat> look at what he says in verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Why does he have to say that to the Christian church? <laughs> because we all have a... a gl- we're glory-starved. <clears throat> we have a... Um, we have a deficit um, for worth or value, and it has rendered us cosmically insecure. Now, let me give you some more characteristics of kinodoxoi. That is, this word, I mean, um, just literally means uh, no glory or the absence of glory. But let me give you some characteristics that come with it. That is, if, if this is true of you, and I've got a hunch... If it were true in the Philippian church and the Ephesian church and the Corinthian church and the Colossian church and the Galatian church, it's probably true in the Germantown church. It's probably true of us too. So here are some of the characteristics. Here's some of the ways that this shows up in in our relationships. Number one, drivenness. Um, in a response to our inner emptiness, we are driven to succeed so that we can prove to myself and to others that I really am valuable. Um, we have to fill up the vacuum, and so we're driven. Are you driven? Um, or do you call it just a good work ethic? I, I don't know. But drivenness, this determination to, to matter, is one of the characteristics of kinodoxoi. Here's another one. Willfulness. I, I'm always right. I'm a bad listener. I'm unteachable. I've got to be right and you've got to be wrong. And what I have to say is better than what you are now saying. So I talk over you. You know, there's a scene in, in the Churchill movie, um, The Darkest Hour. If you haven't seen that, it's really good. The, the guy that plays Churchill is brilliant. I mean, I, I love the, uh, the art form of acting, as you might know. Um, but, I, I mean, he's just, he's just stellar um, playing Churchill. But there's this scene in the war room where um, one of his, what, what, uh, I don't know, rule, um, government higher-ups, his name is Halifax. Halifax is trying to ch- talk Churchill into making terms or suing for terms with Hitler. And I mean, they explode all over each other. I mean, they're just... And, and um, there's the, the line in there that I thought was so funny is that Churchill just screams at Halifax and he says, Would you stop interrupting me while I'm interrupting you? <laughs> um, a willfulness... A, um, a conviction 
that what I've got to say is better than you've got to say because I'm right and you've got to be wrong. That's a characteristic of kinodoxoi. Here's another one. Belittling others or scornfulness, contempt for other people, um, mocking, uh, taunting, uh, jeers. It's a, it, it comes from an inner emptiness and it's a subtle form of self-exaltation. You see, if I can make you smaller, then I get to feel bigger. And so I've got to say things about you that, make, that reduce you in the, in the minds of others so that I can look bigger in the minds of those same people. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a derivative of kinodoxoi. I've, I've got to, I'm starved for hunger. And if it comes at your expense, too bad. Because I've got to have... I've got to have um, my bucket filled up. So um, I resort to uh, belittling other people. (laughs) If that shoe fits, would you please put it on? Here's the final characteristic of kinodoxoi. Self-awareness. Um, you know, those of you who are shy and you think that's some kind of um, positive attribute, you know, maybe, I don't know. It might also come from a constant awareness of your own self. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis has this great comment um, about humility. He uh, defines humility this way. Humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. So if I'm constantly concerned about me, whether it's shyness or whether it's type A behavior, they both come from kinodoxoi. Um, my uh, glory hunger. Now, what does Paul offer? And by the way, now I'm in the book of Philippians. I'm in Philippians 2. What does Paul offer here by way of a solution? You know, he says, here's his exhortation in verse 3. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then he launches into, ladies and gentlemen, a passage that is called um, the canonic passage comes from a Greek word, kenosis. Um, Let me read it to you, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Guys, um, up in verse 7 when it says he made himself nothing, there's a lot of translations here that, I mean, uh, he emptied himself or there's a... But it's all trying to describe this kenosis thing. Did a divine Jesus cease to be divine when he emptied himself? That's the question in the canonic debate. Um, though he set aside his rights and privileges to deity, he did not set aside his deity. Okay, 
But that's not my point tonight. My point is, Paul exhorts the Philippian church in verse 3 to do nothing from uh, rivalry and conceit. And there's that Kenodoxoi word. It's only found twice, there and in Galatians 5. He's exhorting them not to do that. And what he offers as a... um, As a remedy for our own kinodoxoi is that he offers the doctrine of the incarnation. He offers you Christ. Now notice, at the center of the, of the, of the canonic passage, at the center of um, this incarnation passage, at the center of it, is humility. Verse 3, but in humility count others. And then uh, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, the reason that I am so qualified to speak about this subject is not because I'm so humble. It's because um, I am among the greatest of offenders. You know, do you not? I know you know this. It, it, it's found in James 4. It's found in 1 Peter 5. It's found in, found in Proverbs 3. It is the exhortation that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know that. Um, so how do I get humility? Same way. I look at Christ. That is what Paul is offering the Philippian church as a solution for their conceit, for their kenodoxoi. He doesn't say, now listen, what you really need to do is take up a hobby and become the best in the city on that hobby. Like, uh, you're going to play a trumpet. So you go out and take all kinds of lessons about, uh, and you become the best trumpet player that's, that's, that's in the city, and then you'll, then you'll fill up this bucket that's so empty. <clears throat> That's not what he says. When he's offering a solution to address this problem that exists in every church to which he wrote, here's what he gave you. He said, could I uh, speak with you folks for a minute? Let me show you something. What? What did he show us? He showed us Christ. He showed us the incarnation now, guys, the thing that, that I think we have, to, that we have to ask ourselves in this battle against our own kinodoxoi is, is this beautiful to us? Those four verses from 5, 6, 7, and 8 in Philippians 2, is that beautiful to us? Is that beautiful to you? <clears throat> is it? Um, if it isn't then I want you to know that you are undercutting redemption itself because the whole of the atonement is what is in view in those four verses. And you just told me you don't think that's beautiful. Now, you didn't tell me that. I asked you, is this beautiful to you? Because, guys, this is the thing that is going to um, help us get 
or find a solution for our own conceit or kenodoxoi, our own starvation for honor and for glory. Here in essence, and I'm paraphrasing of course, but here in essence is what Jesus says, or um, what, what, what you could derive from this little canonic passage. Um, he says, I don't have to think of myself because I'm already full. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where we've got to get. I don't have to think of myself. I don't have to promote myself. I don't have to scratch and claw so that somebody will think highly of me. I don't have to do that. I mean, that is, that is our, that's our goal. Because we've we, we got to get to the place where we say, um, I don't need you to fill up my bucket because it is already filled. It's already filled up. But if you bring into relationships an empty bucket starving for your own glory, then we're going to have to write you a letter. (laughs) Just like Paul wrote to Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia and Colossae. Stop it! Stop it! And then what does he offer once he's exhorted us to stop it? What does he offer us in terms of a solution? Christ! In all of his beauty, um, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Oh, no, I can give it away. I can give it away. Uh, I don't have to think of myself because I'm full. You know, guys, um, things like courtesy and gentleness in human relationships, those are not signs that I'm a nice person. Those are signs that I'm full. And that's what's supposed to reign among us. Um, All of this fighting that goes on in the churches here in the New Testament um, has not yet broken out at Grace of Anne, bless God. But guys, we have as much of a deficit as anybody on the face of the planet. All of us do. And so we do certain things to try and get that bucket filled up somehow. And so it leads to provoking and envying and squabbling and rivalries and jealousies and all this stuff, all because I'm empty. So here's how you get full. You go back and you reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for you. I've been saying that. I said it two weeks ago, guys. I said the same thing. But here it is. Here's how Paul offers a solution to the people at Philippi. It's the same one I offered you two weeks ago. It's the one I'm offering you now. It's the one that we've got to go to. I've got to go and find this lovely. And the more lovely it becomes, the less I need you to fill up my bucket, because it's already full. Now, let me show you one other thing, and I'm done. Um, I want to show you um, one more piece of advice in terms of the the how-to. If you'll go to Exodus chapter 1, I think most of you are familiar with the the events of Exodus chapter 1. You know... um, 
Joseph is dead. Joseph is the, uh, the one who delivered Egypt from the famine. Um, but Joseph is dead now. He, he died back here in Genesis 50. But uh, we, come to, um, we come to Exodus 1, and we look at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. <laughs> I don't know how many years have, have passed, but I, it doesn't matter. Whoever the king is now, Joseph who? I don't know anybody about the name of Joseph. And so he looks at his kingdom, and he says, you know, those Jews, they are multiplying like a bunch of rabbits. And, you know, one of these days, they're going to turn on us. They're going to turn on us, and they're going to, when our enemy comes, they're going to side with our enemy, and then we're going to... Um, uh, we're going to defeat. They're going to fight against us. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we are going to bring them into basically a, a, a virtual slavery. You remember um, that taking away the straw, that's later. That's after Moses has met with Pharaoh. But the thing that they do here is that they decide, okay, here's, here's our solution for the expanding nation of the Jews. Just kill the, the male child to get born. That'll do it. That'll do it. If you can just kill all the male babies, just throw them in the Nile. Let a crocodile eat them. You know, it, just get rid of them. So, you know, they, um, um, that, that was their solution. There's too many of those Jews, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to feed crocodiles Jewish babies, boys. Uh, the girls can live, but not the boys. That's, that's, that's what happens in Exodus chapter 1, which I think you already know. But there's just a couple of things that I, I wanted to point out. You know, um, there were some Jewish midwives um, verse 15, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra and the other Puah. Now, first of all, guys, do you not find it absolutely stunning that the text names the, the midwives, but it doesn't name Pharaoh? The, 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 most, the strongest man in all the world, the king of Pharaoh, we don't even know his name, but we get the names of the midwives. There they are, right there. And so they got in trouble because there was, you know, these babies were, were still getting born. And so they, you know, they appear before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, what's the matter here? Well, you know, I told you to kill all those people, and you're not killing all those people. What's the matter with you? And they said, uh, well, you know, these, these, um, these Jewish mothers, they're just, um, um, they're just stronger than the rest, and they had their babies before we get there. Now, is that a lie? I don't know. Um, uh, or was it the truth? Is it? Is it? Was it really the actual state on the ground? You know, they just never could get there fast enough, and the babies were already born, and they couldn't get a hold of them and throw them in the in the. I don't know, but I do know this: there there is a statement in here that tells you why these two named nobodies, midwives, um, why they are named, and why they performed the way they performed. It's said right here in verse 17. But the midwives feared God. Guys, my, I mean, here's my point. Why did they do what they did? Why did they resist the authority of the king? Why did they live so countercultural when it was going to be very costly if they were to get caught lying? They did so because of the fear of God. And it was interesting to me that before Israel is ever delivered from bondage, they're not delivered from bondage until chapter 12. Before Israel is ever delivered from bondage, here is the theme. Here it is. 
God wants his people to fear him. And when we fear him, that leads to humility. And then humility leads to grace. And grace leads to fullness. I'm saying to you that part of the solution, in addition to the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation of Philippians 2, concentrate on the beauty about who Jesus is and what he's done. In addition to that, there must be, down deep in your soul, a healthy, legitimate, biblical fear of God. There wouldn't be so much high-mindedness or the opposite of humility among us if we were gripped by the majesty and the, um, the sovereignty of God. You know, guys, I said this in my systematics class. I don't know how you can live in an Arminian world. I don't, I don't know how you can do it. Here's why. Here's what I mean. Um, in Arminianism, man is made bigger and God is made smaller. In the world of reformational theology, man is made smaller and God is made bigger. And by the way, even we who are such fans and devotees of reformational theology, we're only scratching the surface. He's far bigger than we ever dreamed. And that ought to produce in us fear. You know, you say, well, you know, uh, you know, reverence. Is that what you mean, Jimmy? You're talking about reverence. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about reverence. You should do that too. Um, the psalmist, David, in Psalm 119, verse 120, he says, um, my flesh trembles before your judgments. <laughs> that was David. Remember that guy that was the man after God's own heart? It says that, and David says, my flesh trembles in the face of your judgments. Here's my point. I think if we were more like David, we would fear God more. And if we feared God more, there'd be more humility. And if there was more humility, there would be more grace. And if there's more grace, there would be more fullness. And we would finally come to the place where we could say, we are satisfied. We are satisfied in Jesus Christ. He's enough. Is Jesus Christ enough for you? Because you'll never get over this until he becomes enough. Our Father, would you use these comments to to direct your people into a path of righteousness? Might we discover together uh, the great beauty of what we've uh, heard, not because Jimmy Young authored it, but because it is consistent with your word and consistent with Philippians 2 and Exodus 1 and Galatians 5. Ultimately, Lord, um, the authority is not the elders, it's not Jimmy Young. The the authority is this book that we're trying to understand better. So, Father, as as we attempt to do that, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your law. Produce in us a healthy, godly, biblical fear of the God who made us and then went on to find a way to save us. We love you, Lord God. We are sorry we love you so little. But what we're after is an increase, uh, an expansion of, uh, an advancement in our love for the God who uh, is our Father.
in heaven. We um, thank you that we can be together tonight and uh, pray that you'll uh, be rightly represented by us as we head back to our responsibilities tomorrow. And we ask all of this, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.